Welcome to the dungeon. Welcome to the squad that screams. Yes, this is the Scream Squad. I am Chico Leo. And I am Leo Fairman. What's happening? And uh, we are back. Back in black to talk about, um, you know, we, uh, I guess we were kind of joking last time. We were like, what should we talk about next time? And you were like, oh, we can talk about the Hammer movies. And uh, as everyone I'm sure who listens to the, this show knows that uh, there are hundreds of Hammer movies. Yeah, how many um, are there? Are hundreds, aren't there? That's yeah, not, well, that's you not know, an exaggeration. Right, so Hammer, well, Hammer Film Productions was a you know British film company. I don't know that they were ever a major. You know, I don't know that they were like you know the corner like MGM or anything like that. But they made um, like genre stuff, and they're most famous for their their Hammer horror movies mm-hmm. from the fifties to the seventies, I'd say. But they also made science fiction movies, crime movies, you know, British film noir, um, even comedies, and they they you know they did stuff for TV when TV came along. But there there are hundreds, but I think they're most famous for at least over here. Um, for their horror movies, of which their two major stars were Christopher Lee and um, Peter Cushing. And Christopher Lee played Dracula more than any other actor has ever portrayed Dracula. That, um, the, the like like uh, the uh, a significant Christopher Lee Dracula film, like I want to say, is the most famous Hammer. Maybe like the probably the, the, the thing is, I think he played Dracula in as many as like eleven or twelve films. He did like I, but I think there was one that was like Dracula. It was like called Dracula, and that was right. that was like that's 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 the one that I feel like is the most distributed or one of the most distributed Hammer Hammer movies. But I didn't know that Hammer did comedies. Actually, I didn't know that they were. They just ended up being like a stock yeah, house. Yeah, I mean they were. I mean they were. In, I mean maybe they were a major. Uh, studio, you know, all I know is that they were, they were definitely, you know, making all kinds of movies Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, we, uh, I I think if you grew up at a certain time, you saw the Hammer movies like, you know, on, on the weekend, uh, here in New York, it would have been like Channel 11, that kind of thing. Um, but I think at the time they were considered schlock and, uh, they've definitely, they were stylish and, and have grown to... Not just have like a cult following, but you know, so a certain level of critical success. And um, they did versions of all the Universal stuff. I mean, they have their version of the Frankenstein, Dracula, Mummy. Yep, yep. But they went off and did other stuff too. Um, and anyway, this is all a long lead-in to say that we are not going to be talking <laughs> about Hammer movies this week. Yeah. This is, uh, you know, this will be actually uh, not Hammer Hammer films or you know, unHammer. Or Hammer films that are not from Hammer Film Productions, if that makes sense. Yep, screwdriver films. Right. So yeah. So we'll be uh, we're gonna be talking about two movies, both of which actually also have you know major religious themes in the horror genre. That is something that shows up a lot. But um, they are both British films that came out uh, sort of at the height of Hammer horror, and it's the Witchfinder General which was released here actually as the Conqueror Worm from 1968 and the Wicker Man, the original one from 1973, I believe. And um, we will not, I will mention once that the Wicker Man was remade with Nicolas Cage and there are a lot of memes that you can see. And that is the only time that we will ever bring that up. We are only talking about <laughs> the, the original, original Robin Hardy, you know, uh, Wicker Man with Edward Woodward, who later became famous for playing the Equalizer. 
Um, I've only ever seen the the Nicolas Cage one in meme form. Like I've never yes. I've never watched it. I've only I, seen the like comedy trailers and the like video cut up videos that people have done from the on YouTube and I've never actually I watched seen the it. first 15 minutes of it and it was just like the the both of these movies also um listeners should know are very beloved by me. <laughs> um, I I don't know had you, you had seen of course you'd seen the Wicker Man. I've seen the Wicker Man. I General? had not seen the Witchfinder General prior to our to our chat today. Um, right. Yeah. So well, you know, um yeah, so th- around this time there definitely was a hammer style and I feel like these being British movies made around that time, they sort of, one could be mistaken in thinking that these could be Hammer movies to some degree. Um, the Wicker Man actually, in addition, uh, the Wicker Man, in addition to actually also featuring uh, Christopher Lee as, as the villain, also um, actually has Ingrid Pitt and Britt Eklund, who are both in, uh, Ingrid Pitt is in a bunch of Hammer horror movies, mm-hmm. And Britt Eklund is in at least one. Um, at the um, shortly after the making of the Wicker Man, um, Ingrid Pitt. I uh, no, rather Britt Eklund married Rod Stewart, and because she appears topless in a scene in the movie, he actually he's like freaking to, out <laughs> to buy up all the prints of the movie. And so there was a little while where you basically couldn't find it because Rod Stewart had bought up all the prints. So both of these movies have. Both both risen very you know very high in their estimation since they originally came out. Right. Um, and like and like uh, to to just parlay on your on your hammer point, they both uh, use a lot of you know countryside in, in the UK. Uh, yes. Like yeah, they they've got uh, you know the the witchfinder you know has a lot of outfits and costumes and and period period stuff happening. Absolutely. So yeah, like it the. I, I would say the Witchfinder even more so, like, you could slip it into a Hammer, like, film festival and, like, yes. you know, no one would really bat an eye. And, and and yeah, you're right. In fact, stylistically, the Witchfinder General is much more Hammer. The uh, um, It's really more the cast of right. uh, The Wicker Man. Right. The Wicker Man is a really singular movie. Um, but in 2005, Total Film Magazine uh, called The Witchfinder General the 15th greatest horror film of all time. And um, its star, who's none other than Vincent Price, who did not get along with the director, afterwards considered it to be his best performance and really felt that the directing style that he didn't get along with at the time brought out his, his greatest performance. Yeah, I mean, he is, he is, he is, uh, he's totally unique in this movie. Yes. In terms of his performances, like he's not hamming it up. He's he's weirdly reserved, which just like kind of makes his character creepier. Should do you want to talk about the Witchfinder first? Which where did you want to start? Sure. Well, we we will talk about the Witchfinder General first. Um and, and just the other thing is yeah, like I said before, both of these movies are very heavy with different kinds of religious themes. Yeah. Um, and one opens with an execution and the other closes with an execution. <laughs> That's true. So, yeah, let's talk about Witchfinder General first. It comes first chronologically. It was directed by Michael Reeves, who it was only his third movie. And he died, and he was 24 when he directed it. And he died the next year of an overdose of barbiturates and alcohol that was not considered to be a suicide. Um, so... Make of that what you will. Um, and it is based on the real-life witch-hunting exploits of Matthew Hopkins, who was a real-life uh, English, they call them lawyers, 
and he it was during the English Civil War when Cromwell was riding around and it was you know the Protestants versus the Catholics and the the king versus the rebels and so everything was um had gone to shit basically and he rode around and would basically extort money out of like he would get towns to pay him to find witches and he would use these very sadistic horrible ways to find out if someone was a witch that just amounted to basically torturing random people who townspeople didn't didn't like or had something against um probably not that differently than when the cia shows up in your small town in afghanistan and says who's taliban and they're just like oh i owe that guy money he's taliban so um you know there's there's a lot of like intense torture and just sadistic violence i would say for you know again this was 1968 you know yeah i'm i'm I'm, like i was reading up on the film and it it sounds like this the a lot of the content was like virtually uh you know unseen of uh during the time like and it is it is a it's a movie with a lot of cruelty um it's a movie that you know has rape in it it's a movie that has uh that has like like to like to me uh the the most unnerving aspects of the film which i've actually seen uh evoked in other movies but the i i feel like it's almost extra unnerving because the movie is from the 60s is that like there's a lot of emphasis on just the casual disregard that for instance the villagers have to these horrors right. occurring like to me that's almost more disturbing than a Vin, uh, then one man Vincent Price being an asshole and his like little right hand man, you know, torturing people. It's like just people watching it and smiling or ignoring it or just casually observing it. Um, that's the that's the stuff that kind of gets under my skin if anything does in this movie. I mean, basically, he would come into these small towns where everybody knows each other or whatever, and people would you know, if somebody was a little bit different, you know, if there was some old lady who had a black cat and they saw them talking to a black cat, they'd be like, oh, she's a witch. Right. Or if someone was weird and, you know, they do these ridiculous things where it's like, okay, I'm going to stab you or poke you a bunch of times. If you scream, it means that Satan is, you know, inside you, which, of I mean, just these ridiculous things. We're going to throw you in the water. If you sink, then you're innocent. If you float, then you're not. And then we're going to hang you. And one woman, they actually burned to death in this really horrific way. Oh, God, um, yeah. Although there was something interesting, I don't know if you did. You notice that people ran out and actually um, put potatoes in the in the like embers of the fire after that. That was something that actually people really did. Oh, really? Like, yeah, because they're sifting through them after, like yeah. with sticks and, and stuff. So you know, when there would be these burnings and things like that, people would actually run out and like cook their potatoes, and it would wow. be like, "Hey, I don't have to collect wood for a fire tonight." Um, so yeah, it takes place in 1645, and it's um, uh, you know, just like a dark time. <laughs> let's let's put it that yeah. way. And it's it's a it's a it's a bad natured film, or maybe that's mm. not the right word. But there's no, it like, might be. Uh, it might be. I mean, like it it, it does like it's unsettling. It it is, and like and like it should be it, to to make it clear. Like it does end in a on a weird note of justice, sort of. But in spite it's of justice, that. but also the, you know, maybe the perversion, like someone does something that they can't come back from. Right. So that's the other thing is there's an element of it that's a revenge flick right. in that um, 
the main characters are Matthew Hopkins, who's going around doing all this vicious stuff and then rolling out of each town with like a, you know, bag of gold. And he has his like super sadistic assistant. And then there's a young couple and the the male in the couple is a soldier and they they both or just the assistant. I can't remember. Raped the. No, pr- you know, no. Yeah. Hopkins and the assistant both do. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, there is a certain level of, um, I guess we would call it fridging nowadays or something in the sense that her, the violence that is committed, her assault is basically just to, just to, just a plot point to get the, you know, the soldier to then, like, hunt down Hopkins. So the soldier goes back and forth from doing his soldiering to looking for Hopkins, and um, at the end, he kills Hopkins very violently. Yeah. And there's a sense that he's sort of overstepped the lines of, you know, he sort of hacks him up with an axe really terribly. And there's like a real sense, spoiler alert, but uh, there's a real sense that he's sort of, you know, you can't come back from that. You know, he does it in front of her and, you know, you know, that he's given up a piece of his soul to get his revenge. Right. Uh, but uh, Like, it should be noted that his associate, like... All right, we're like we're 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 jumping super head. As you said, um Price is the Witchfinder. Price is well, he claims that he could be the Witchfinder general, but he goes to these towns and like uh submits these these people to these torturous acts for pay. And it's interesting because uh you know, like you you mentioned this idea that the both movies that we're deal- that we're talking about deal with religion. I would almost put it a little bit further and I would say that both movies deal with authority. And, yeah, that's an, and, and the use of the perversion of religion to to you know um, you know sort of you know uh, instilled authority, right? And and like and and the as I, as I mentioned, like the like it's unnerving the way that people just witness these goings on and like you know essentially lose their humanity in front of you on the screen in this in this film. But in addition to that, like there's a there's a weirdness about about Hopkins character about Vincent Price's character of Hopkins because yes. like sometimes and that's that's due to Vincent Price. Oh no, oh yeah, heavily. But like yeah. there's this thing where, you know, so you know, he does he he coerces and rapes uh rapes the the, the Sarah. Sarah in in it. But he also like there're these there're these like private moments where you're watching him on the screen and you're like does his character th- think he's doing the who's doing god's work actually like is he is he delusional enough to think that and then it's like no he's not because he's you know he's he's taking advantage of a woman and he and he for instance like the reason that he courses her into that is because he's uh he's basically sparing her uncle who is a priest from being you know like tortured and then killed through the through this process and that's why she agrees to fuck him but like he does know that he's done that, but at other times he has this like attitude where it's like no one's really around, but he seems to be believing that he has a pious quest. So it's like, which is it? And that, that just makes him all the more maniacal, you know, where you're like, you, you've, have you convinced yourself into thinking you are both doing God's work and also being a selfish predator at the same time? Uh, and it, then that, 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 uh, that sense of morality is confused in it. And that just makes it all more fucked up. Meanwhile, I mean, his sadistic servant has no, like, skin. I mean, all his skin in the game is dependent on hurting people. He's just... Yes, and getting paid for it. Right. Like, there is no no murkiness there for him. But for Price, I feel like there is, and that just, you know, that makes it even more fucked up. Um, Yeah. It's... it's, And and believe me, he's also using, you know, like, you you know, the, the fear of, you know... 
all of these townspeople are sort of illiterate, you know, mm, um, right, wielding yeah, their mean, ignorance, right, yeah. you know, and 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 using the the cudgel of the church, you know, including, I mean, he kills a priest in one town, in the you know first or second town, and it opens very abruptly with a very very you know like they're just dragging this woman off to be hanged, and it's sort of. You know, just very. It, it is a dour movie, although um, it is. I mean, it's it's sort of a very interesting story with interesting performances, and um, there actually were two versions. The American version had a which was called the Conqueror Worm because it was bought by Roger Corman's company for or or you know released here by Roger Corman's company, and he had just made like three Edgar Allan Poe based movies with. Um, Price, Vincent yeah. Price and the Conqueror Worm is a Vincent is is a Edgar Allan Poe uh, Poe poem, so he actually um, they just sort of stuck that on there and uh, that name on there to try and associate it with those others. But it it actually has like a synthesizer soundtrack the the one that was released here. The original one doesn't. Oh you know, really? Sort of I, more, I, more I traditional. saw I saw the the latter then. I saw the one with the with the like sym- symphonic or you know the. The, the non-synthesizer soundtrack. I actually right, thought that... that non- that's the original. That's the Witchfinder General. I, that's I the, thought that soundtrack... I, that soundtrack actually made it worse because, like, some of that soundtrack just has this kind of, like, lilty, kind of merry walk in the forest type feel to right. it. <laughs> like, this is, this is totally uh, not aligned with the film itself. No, I've seen both, although more recently, the few times I've seen it, I've seen the original British version. But the first couple of times I saw it, I saw it, it was labeled as the Conqueror Worm, and it had the synth soundtrack. And I actually remember really liking that, like when he's riding the horse, uh-huh, uh-huh. all those scenes where he's like riding across like, you know, northern England or whatever through the fields. Like it was this sort of cool, like proto, you know, late 60s, you know, sort of almost Tangerine Dream-esque, uh, you know. That's 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 um, so funny because like that makes me think of uh, of the whole deal with the movie Legend. Yes, you know Legend had the had the they had the alternate Tangerine Dream soundtrack and who who did the other who did the other one? Oh, it was like this famous composer. Yeah, it was one you know one of the big Hollywood you know like a Hans Zimmer type. Right. Yeah. Like it was. That, like, you know. Was it? It was. Oh my god! Oh, I'm, that's gonna bother me. I'm, oh, Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith. Exactly, Jerry Goldsmith exactly. did, the, and the Jerry Goldsmith score, like, does, to me, doesn't vibe with the film at all. Whereas the right. Tangerine Dream one totally does. So that's yeah. so interesting. It's like the same kind of deal, huh? Jerry Goldsmith, famous for uh, the Planet of the Apes, the original Planet of the Apes uh, soundtrack. I mean, among many, many others, I believe he did the uh, soundtrack to the first Star Trek movie, maybe the others as well, but definitely the first one. I feel like, generally speaking, his soundtrack is better received for Legend than the Tangerine Dream one, but I prefer the Tangerine Dream one. And I actually, I, I man, I, now I'm really intrigued to, to check out the, the Witchfinder General yeah. synth one. Well, it isn't Tangerine. Yeah, well, <laughs> that would be weird. <laughs> You know, um, and so, yeah, so Witchfinder General, and it is a horror movie. I mean, in the sense that the horror is, you know, almost the repulsion you must, you might feel, you know, it's not a, it's not a horror, you know, Jason or Michael Myers or, you know, Freddy Krueger type of horror movie with that, like that, but it is a horror. Yeah, it's, it's cruel and unfair. It is. It is. As as is life during wartime, you know? <laughs> and that's the thing. I mean, it's it's this guy is running around like you you imagine that this could only happen during wartime, you know. People are hungry, they're you know, there's no you know, the king is fighting these rebels and so basically the local 
you know, magistrates so the people have all the power. Right. You know? Right. Um, and so, and I think they say in, like, the opening narration where, like, justice and injustice are, you know, handed, are dispensed, you know, with equal measure and, and, and or with equal and unequal measure, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, it was based on a book called The Witchfinder General. Um, and, again, Matthew Hopkins was a real historical figure. Yeah, who, um, like, I was reading something, I forgot if it was on Wikipedia or somewhere else, that, like, he he, he was responsible for something like two-thirds of, the, of, like, of, like, quote-unquote witches being murdered in this way. Yeah. Like, he was a, he was a busy guy. And, and, and then the other thing is, I guess, in, in, when he was doing this, he was, like, in his 20s or 30s. And Vincent Price is obviously a lot older than right. than that, right. but um, I don't even think that uh, Vincent Price was Reeves' first choice. He wanted actually Donald Pleasance, which would I, I can't imagine <laughs> um, who people might. If you don't know who he is, he was the uh, he's you you know him from Halloween, um, and uh, he uh, had to basically that was part of it. He contractually had to use. Vincent Price, the company had, you know, had him under contract and yada, yada, yada. Um, but, um, yeah, it's it's definitely a movie that was ahead of its time. And a director who many considered to be, you know, sort of like a Kurt Cobain of directing in the sense that he was like a young guy who died of a drug overdose or like, you know, an Amy Winehouse type of thing where... There was a lot expected of him. He was like in pre-production on his next movie. He had, or this was his third movie, and he was twenty-four years old. Um, and so there's, there was this real sense that there was, you know, he could have, could have gone on to be, you know, be a great, you know, in 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 that sense. And 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 we'll never know. Um, but the Witchfinder General is sort of what we have of his, you know, potential genius. So. Uh, you know, in addition to to that, we have what uh, Cine Fantastique called the Citizen Kane of horror movies, <laughs> um, and uh, Total Film Magazine said in two thousand four that was the sixth greatest British film of all time, and that is the Wicker Man, nineteen seventy three Wicker Man, uh, which also very few people saw and has gained a huge following, and this one really, I mean. I hadn't seen Witchfinder General in a little while, but Wicker Man really is just such a unique and special film. Like, Witchfinder General, you know, first time I... I actually, you know, I, I yeah, the first time I saw it, I guess I was probably in my late 20s, early 30s, and I'd read about it. And But, but Wicker Man, I actually saw part of it on TV when I was a kid. Like, we still had a black and white TV. I was really young. <laughs> and it, it was like the last 20 minutes of it, and it really just scared the shit out of me. And, um... It's it's unlike any other movie. It's a weird. It's 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 a it's a, it's a it's a weird bird. So it's about a, a, a like a British island that has basically abandoned Christianity and now they 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 full out are are pagans. And it's interesting because pagans are normally, you know, when paganism is presented in cinema, more often than not, you know, it's the quote unquote heathens. It's it's, you know, people of color, you know, either like, you know, Asian or South Asian or African or, you know, Caribbean. And so the idea of an island full of white people who are doing, you know, who are doing pagan stuff and worshiping multiple gods <laughs> Um, is sort of, you know, it's interesting. You don't, you don't really see anything like that. And they're super into sex. Yep. Yeah. They have, and, they have a bunch of rituals. They have a, yeah. a whole kind of, uh, they have, a, they have a, a strange governing system. Uh, they, they're, they're, 
They're 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 the other. And so through this elaborate, it's a mystery at first. Edward Woodward plays Sergeant Howie, um, who comes to the mainland because there's a girl who's missing, who comes from the mainland, rather, to Summer Isle, that's what it's called, and there's a girl missing, and nothing sort of makes sense, and everybody's really weird. <laughs> and we sort of find out that he's actually a very devout Christian, he's still a virgin, and um, he's trying to basically find this girl, and half the time it seems like the villagers are making fun of him, and half the time they're sort of super friendly and helpful. And the whole time he's going around and there's like sex rituals going on. And, um, you know, he goes into the school and they're talking about the maypole and how it represents the, you know, the phallus. And he's, he freaks out because, you know. Um, and, th- and, and throughout he, this whole thing, there's just almost constant music and singing. Amazing, and it's amazing. I actually am a huge, huge fan of the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. The score itself is good too, but the, the the actual soundtrack, like you could almost call it a musical. It, 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 it essentially, I mean, there's there's singing like aside from a few minutes in between throughout the entire movie, right? And it's it's really remarkable too. And that's the other thing: the difference between the Wicker Man and the Witchfinder General is that. The Witchfinder General is so dour, and the Wicker Man is so not dour, even as well. It's really only the fine. The yeah, like it gets the there. It that, gets there. Yeah, and I mean, and there is that, like you know, the I think the aside from just like what what, what manifests in the ending, the horror of, of the Wicker Man stems. It's almost like a really extended Twilight Zone episode. You know, in that, like, there's something amiss, but you're not quite sure what, and the protagonist right. is kind of fumbling around in the dark. And it's just like layers of the realization get slowly uncovered, um, but like it's it, it's a it's a strange film in, in every in every direction. But I feel like especially because of that, because as a viewer, you you get kind of uh, you get kind of confused about like the you don't really grasp the tone of it. You just see this guy who's really frustrated and insisting that something wrong is going on, and everybody's like, "No, everything's fine." Like, what are you talking right. about? Um, yeah, and and then and just and just this, this and just the singing and the performance pieces and and the kind of uh, the unique editing that like accompanies like you know the musical stuff that's going on. And there's um, you know just sort of and again the, the the weird sex stuff combined with like this sort of dowdy fuddy duddy old timey <laughs> village where um, you know he goes into the into the graveyard and there's like, you know, the, uh, there's a, the, they plant trees on the graves and there's like, um, umbi- the umbilical cords are hanging from the trees and there's a woman breastfeeding in the graveyard and people, he goes outside, outside of the tavern and a whole bunch of people are just having sex outside. <laughs> yep. And it's, uh, that's the other thing is it's all culminating for the big May Day parade. Right. And celebration. And ultimately, you know, he is the, you know, basically this has all been an elaborate ruse to get him to come there for his own free will, uh, by his own free will, because uh, the crops aren't growing. And um, everybody knows if the crops aren't growing, the only way to make them grow again is to uh, is to offer a sacrifice to the gods. And while the gods, they like animals and a small child is better, nothing is better than a devout Christian virgin who represents the law and comes as know, a fool and comes of his yeah. own free will. Exactly. That's the idea. Yeah, like uh it's 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 weird because um you know like the stuff in the stuff in here with the guy is 
in many ways, like the opposite of the Witchfinder General, because he comes in expressing this authority. Like a lot of the movie is him kind of insisting it, like I'm here on official business, you know, like shit like right. that. And they're all just like, yeah, yeah, sure you are. Um, but in reality, like he is just a man on an island with a lot of people who, who like see him as lunch. So right. it's it, like his authority is sort of meaningless. And I mean, I don't know if you want to like dig deep into the into the the kind of the, the that fictional reality of it. You're you're thinking like, I mean, people know he went there, so. They might be like, hey, what happened to this cop that went to this island? Like, maybe right. we should look into that. Um, so I don't know if it's super, like, you know, neat and tidy and wrapped up wrapped up with a bow on it. But uh, there is still that the, – the, the essence of that being scary, of, like, being in a place like – I don't know if you've ever been to, uh, you know, a really remote town. That, you know, doesn't have good cell service. Like, it has that energy to it because he is that isolated, uh, you know, within a place that, that doesn't share his, his It's not state. clear if there's even a phone on the island, I don't think. Yeah, no, I, no, I don't, I don't, I don't think that's, that, that's exactly made clear. Um, and like, and he, and I guess the other, that's the other thing with the film is that, uh, he is painted as, a, as the hero, maybe. Um, because he's like a sane man in an island full of insane people. That's a possible read of it. I don't want to imprint that read on the film, but that's a possible read of it. Um, but there, like, I don't know. There, I also feel like there's some aspect of the film that sells him as this sort of fuddy duddy, where you're just like, all right, like, you know, he's, he, he, he can't even, he's so kind of mired in his belief system that he can't even, accept the fact that people have different beliefs than him and a lot of what he does is is just make insistences like you know what like uh, i'm a i'm a person of the lord like you don't believe in jesus and to me like that comes off as slightly humorous it's like dude like understand that people have other belief systems (laughs) you know um i don't think that's that's intentionally part of the filmmaking. oh i think there is a commentary do you do you i do because i actually think up until the very end that the the lifestyle and sort of laid-backness to a certain degree of the pagans is portrayed as being much cooler than the the sort of upright Christian guy until the very end. Yeah, I mean, it's cool, it's so cool the, to me, but I don't, I don't know if that... Yeah, I mean, well, the, you know, I think from the point of view of the, you know, of the filmmakers, too, um, you know, the... the I, I mean, I don't know, you know, we gave away, or I gave away the ending to the other, so spoiler, I mean, the Wicker Man... The titular wicker man is actually a giant, like, 50-foot wicker man made of wicker that's hollowed out that they put him in, and then they put, you know, a bunch of, you know, fruits and vegetables and animals, and then they burn the whole thing, and that's their sacrifice to the, um, you know, to the gods. And I believe that that has some bearing on Burning Man, on the Burning Man that they burn at the end of Burning Man every year. Like, I don't know if that's where they got the idea. But um, it's a really, really unbelievably striking image. And actually, as the Wicker Man falls over at the end, um, you, 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 it's against like this blood red sunset. And that was actually they had one shot at that because they literally had one Wicker Man to burn. Right. I mean, the whole thing was like a huge. I mean, there were these animals shitting on him so that, you know, like, well, because they, they were all freaking out. <laughs> it's there are mixed. Um, it's not clear. Some people say the animals did burn in there. Some people said they didn't. Oh, really? They obviously didn't. So, 
Yeah, I mean, you know, this was like a low-budget movie made in a tiny island in Scotland. Like, you know, sort of anything goes. For all we know, some of those people might have been really having sex. Um, but, yeah, it's... And at the very end, he hasn't lost his faith. And he's... But he's still freaking out. And I remember seeing that as a little kid. And I hadn't seen the like the first hour and a half or first hour and ten minutes or whatever. And I only caught the last 20. And I remember that really freaking me out when he's sort of praying and screaming, Jesus Christ, and all that. And the thing is burning all around him. I, that really had a profound effect on like the six-year-old Chico or eight-year-old <laughs> Chico, however old I was. No, it, um, it, no it, is, it is weirdly intense. And like, I mean, further emphasized because... He's surrounded by people just happily singing and <laughs> Well that's what I yeah, so you know, and they're singing this sort of joyful like tune, um, that I think is based on a real like old old timey tune. Christopher Lee, by the way, does plays the Lord and is the, you know, sort of villain or yeah. villain. He's he's just fantastic. He's great. He doesn't have a ton of screen time, but he's great. I mean what what's there, he really is just amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, if you only know him as Count Dooku. You know, it's really <laughs> worth going back and checking out, you know, not just The Wicker Man, but the, the Hammer films. Oh, God, there's, there's so many weird things. Like, so, like, again, like, I, you know, I rewatched it for us uh, talking about it. And there's this, this scene, like, kind of closely in, like, in the last third of the film where he's going around trying to find this girl because they unearth her grave. And it, there's a bunny. There's a rabbit, you know, a hare. There's a, hair. a March hare in there. And it's not her. And, like, so he's trying to find her. And he's, like, and th- there's something weird about that whole scene where he's, like, going through the town trying to look for this girl look for information on this girl where like there are townsfolk who are talking to the camera and it almost feels like some kind of like folksy documentary you'd see on like PBS on well, the weekend yeah. <laughs> it, it does and in the beginning they actually say we'd like to thank Lord Summerisle right, right. to you know for letting us onto the island <laughs> to you know showing letting us you know mm. show his you know religion or their religion or whatever like the, it is actually played as as that a little bit um, yeah it's true it's re- it's there is really a little bit of weird. the mockumentary in there it's it's super odd just it, yeah man like there, there's 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 so many weird tonal colors to the film that that uh that like you know really really tor- torment it like when you're watching it it's almost like you're I when I watch it, I feel like I'm not sure what I'm supposed to feel through a lot of this. You right. know, like I, th- there are comedic, there are totally comedic aspects. There are like super randy, sexy aspects to it, also. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and then there's all this other. Then there's like weird, a weird darkness underneath it all. Uh, yeah, it's not as weird as, but it reminds me of actually Valerie and her Week of Wonders, which is a, a movie that me and Jamie talked about a while back. Um, and so if anyone has seen that and liked it, there's actually a similar, some, some similar sort of vibe and, and, and sort of visuals um, in this and that. Although Valerie in her Week of Wonders is even more sort of uh, everything that we just said. <laughs> um, but it does, t- it's sort of a fairy tale that takes place in like a, a pagan, you know, like Czech village in, you know, hmm. you, you know, I don't know, in the Middle Ages, you know, I don't know, you know, 1500s, I don't know. Um, were you familiar? Were you familiar with the Hand of Glory? No. Like I, the only reason I know about the Hand of Glory is because it's a pretty prominent part of Grant Morrison's The Invisibles. And, oh right, yeah. And Grant Morrison's The Invisibles has like a bunch of stuff related to this to this film. Um, most specifically, like it does have a, a like a in a few different parts of the of the later part of the tale, uh, like a protracted Wicker Man references and scenes. 
Um, so like, there's like this whole thing in, in the invisibles. One of the, one of the plot points is this drug called key 23, which is, uh, a drug that like when you're administered it, anything, any words that you see on a page become your reality. So like there's, and there's a part where they're trying to like, uh, brainwash or you could maybe argue unbrainwash the invisibles is super weird if anybody listening has never read it it's a very hard to parse book but a uh, comic comic series but like there's a part where they're trying to kind of brainwash or unbrainwash this agent and they put him in a wicker man with like a, a note that says like you're burning in the wicker man and he's reading it and he thinks he's he's basically reliving the movie <laughs> in, wow. in his wicker man with like animals and pigs talking to him and shit um, right. and, and and on top of that, there are, there are, uh, the hand of glory is this kind of, uh, artifact item that like is throughout the entirety of the invisible series. People are stealing it. People are trying to use it. Um, and it was a real thing. It was like a real, uh, kind of totemic, uh, you know, artifact thing that was made by like chopping off the hand of, uh, somebody who, a criminal who'd hang, who'd hung at the gallows. And if you like lit candles on the fingers and like kind of did this ritualistic thing with it, um, it would basically freeze anyone in its presence. So if you lit the hand around somebody, like they wouldn't be able to move. And if you lit the right, hand right, like right. in a house, the idea I think is that thieves would have them and they would light the hand of glory. And the idea is they could rob a house and like no one would stir from their slumber. Right. Um, and again, in the, in the film, they like, you know, of course, position the hand of glory, like by him where he like pretends to be asleep. Um, it doesn't do anything. <laughs> he just like knocks it off, a knocks it off a pedestal. But um, yeah, I, I can imagine that the Wicker Man had a very, very, very profound effect on like a very young Grant. Martin oh, hells. Yes. In, like, yeah. you know, the late 70s. Um, there was not uh, I don't know if it's a sequel or a remake or neither. But um, Robin Hardy, the director, did direct a movie called The Wicker Tree in 2011, which I haven't seen. It got mixed reviews. Um, and, and Christopher Lee is in it uh, as more of a cameo, I think, not 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 a main character. But um, I think, uh, yeah, uh, it was described as a spiritual sequel. So that's something to maybe look up, look into if you're if you're already a Wicker Man fan or if you do as a result of this podcast, listen to, or watch The Wicker Man and then love it as much as we do or as much as I do. I mean, I don't know. Would you, uh, you know what? Yeah. I, I get the sense like you probably wouldn't watch the Witchfinder general again. I mean, I might never watch the Witchfinder <laughs> general again. Cause I do think there's some, as I get older, although it's really worth seeing, I mean, don't get me wrong. I think it's worth seeing the once, but like I just found a lot of aspects of it a bit archaic and the cruelty in it, I mean, is, you know, performed with, no insult to the filmmakers, like some pretty laughable special effects. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, so they're both pretty low budget movies. I think actually, um, I mean, again, it was 1968, but Witchfinder General was made for 83,000 pounds. I mean, it was like a hundred thousand dollar movie. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, I mean, it, and, and, but it, it does a lot like with the clerks it. of its day. And yet it, it feels a lot better than that. Uh, no, it totally does. I mean, and like, I mean, of the two, like I would say like the Wicker Man, the, I think the Wicker Man is an essential watch. I think that's something that everybody should really see. Yes, without um, a doubt. Yeah, like that's, I mean, it's 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 special. It's super influential. I think you'll probably see a lot of it in other movies if you if you do watch it and haven't watched it before. Um, so I would definitely, I would definitely grant it that uh, uh, 100%. Although, like, you know, there's something weird that, like, I was thinking um, watching both of these movies. Uh, and I was wondering what your thoughts on this and, like, what this means and if anybody's put a, put a marker on it. But there's this, like, thing with... Am I crazy or like movies in like the in like the seventies or maybe even late sixties, something like Witchfinder General? They used to do this thing, right? Where they would just 
fucking end. Yeah, it was like well, both, boom, yes. over, done. Yes. it's over. Well, like, especially, I think, also like genre movies. Oh right? yeah, oh most that definitely. were you know again, no one thought that anyone in you know 2017 was going to be watching these movies. Talking, but about yes, about a I mean that one especially. I think you know it's just boom. Um, it's just like a thing yeah. happens and then credits. Like let's yeah. let's get it. And it's like it's it's weird to I guess it's weird to watch two of those movies in close succession because I feel like now like if. A, the rare movie does that as a punchline or something, or to like align with a thing of a, a, a hot new song in the credits or something. But that's essentially pretty weird. And yeah, like these both, these both kind of uh, both films accelerate to their ending so intensely. You know, yes, it's just like it's like build up and 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 the, can, you don't you don't know that the movie is going to be over two minutes before it's over. Yeah. Whereas two minutes now before a movie's over, like you're way pat, like you're in the denouement. Right. It's clearly wrapping up. You know, yeah. No, that is true. Yeah, I guess like it, it stood out to me more just because like we were watching these two pretty old movies for this episode. Um, yes. And I was just like, huh, like I never really thought about that uh, much. Like I feel like I feel like every Western ends instantly. Every single Western movie is like a guy dies, boom, credits, done. Well, or the guy is riding off into right, the sunset. Right, right. But it's like so Shane, instantaneous. Come back, Shane. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I definitely do agree with that observation. I mean, definitely these two movies that you don't really, real, you know, like they end and then they end. You know, that's it. <laughs> um, I think also that, you know, movies are a little flabbier nowadays. Yep. You know, there's always, you're required to have these codas. Now with the Marvel movies, you know, they want you to sit through the credits and... You know why? You know, in the credits, the crawl is so slow. You gotta sit for another seven minutes just to get some. You're not bitter or anything. Bullshit, you know, with you know Bruce Banner and Thor or something like that. Like you know, um, I think the next Marvel movie I see in the theaters, I'm actually not even gonna stick around for that. I'm gonna just wait for Cable for the uh, for the final sequence. <laughs> Although the problem is, is that no one who I see it with will be, you know, they'll be so in the matrix that the. <laughs> They'll, they'll stay any you know and so i'll just have to stand outside oh man you're um, gonna be that specific you're gonna be like all right you sit here i'm gonna go outside and take a piss well no because what i'm saying is they would no one no one else would do that no one is as you know sort of it is weird like, over it. it like you you remember you man we're all right we're, we're just we're, i'm talking about you remember a lot but do you remember back in the day like where that would occasionally happen like yeah. so rare and sometimes you would sit in the theater like a wash in like the good movie you saw thinking Maybe this will. Ha- maybe something will be at the end, and then ninety nine times out of a hundred, there wasn't. But like you just be. Yeah, I mean, I think there was also even stuff that was before the credits back then. I mean, like History of the World, they have like a coming attractions for History of the World Part Two, oh. <laughs> and it comes like before the credits. Yep. And Doctor Detroit had like you know a Doctor Detroit Two like credit sequence, The Wrath of Mom. Uh, that might have actually been after the credits. I can't. I mean, those are two movies that I'm proud to say I saw in the theaters. Um, but there, no, there. I agree that there is something like crappy about it just being a ubiquitous thing where it's like, okay, I guess I'll sit through the credits, like because that's what I'm supposed to do. Right. Yeah. 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 No, it, it is true. I mean, I think it has to do with both of them were relatively low budget movies. Both of them were genre movies, mm-hmm. and I think that yeah, there was not you know. There wasn't this 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 uh, cookie cutter, you know, 
whatever of movie making today, movies by committees with 16 different writers and, you know, but that, that, producers and, you know, like, and, and test audiences and it's got to work, it's got to play in China and India as much as it plays in Indiana and, you know, it's just like... But that but that's such know, a good point, like, about the formula. The like, I would I would say, like, for The Wicker Man, that's probably one of the things that's most special about it because, like, if there's a formula to it, it's it's pretty unusual. Like it. Oh, it is. Yeah, it like is, it's it is pacing and, special. It's and very pacing. well done. Yeah, it's shot beautifully. I mean, I will say that you know, Witchfinder General does not look like a hundred thousand dollar movie, but The Wicker Man really it looks great. It feels totally different. It's got you know. It's style. It's got. It's stylish. It's got. You know. I mean. It's got. It's got a lot going for it. And I, I happen to love the music. <laughs> yeah. It's. 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 It's pretty singular. I. I. I, I can't think of like a, an easy dozen movies that it's like. Um, and it's got. I mean. It has. It has super solid performances. And yeah, like any Christopher Lee, as you said, like in the performance that he prefers in his career. This is his. That's that's his preferred performance. Yeah. So you know. Um, all right. Well, I think on that note, you know, this was our, our hammer, not hammer episode. And one day we will delve into the, uh, hopefully into the, the hammer horror uh, catalog. And, um, you know, other than that, keep screaming. Keep screaming, y'all. <laughs>